This is an AMI podcast. I'm Juwita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Long ago, there were cell phones which looked and felt like small bricks. Apart from being able to make a phone call, everything else was inaccessible to me. Later, the BlackBerry. Suddenly, everyone was on BBM. Everyone except me, that is. Blind people were left out of the design yet again. Then there's a rumor. The iPhone was going to be fully accessible to the blind and partially sighted community. I'm cautiously optimistic. How on earth does someone who is blind use a touchscreen? And yet here we all are. Most blind people find their accessible iPhone indispensable. That's the power of technology to change lives. Today we discuss access and inclusive design for technology. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to the pulse on AMI Audio. My name is Jyotha Gupta. I'm the host of the program. We live in a interconnected world brought together by the World Wide Web. And the web and also technology broadly speaking has changed the way we shop, changed the way we work, and also changed the way we fall in love. But the pace of change in technology is incredible. If you were to mention to somebody the things that were commonplace in my childhood and youth things like cassette tapes or CDs they might balk thinking those things rather quaint and of course people with disabilities have benefited from this rapid change in the pace of technology and the development of technology my guest today is someone who believes in the potential of technology for change Dori Rush is a writer and accessibility evangelist. She is an advocate for universal access and inclusive design. She is also the chief content officer at oepatients.org, an online resource providing information and advice for living a successful life with vision loss. Dori, welcome to the Pulse. Thank you so much, Joida. Pleasure to be with you. It's great to have you on the program not least because this is frankly the first time in my life that I'm speaking to an accessibility evangelist. How does that come about? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, well, someone someone interviewed me years ago and called me that and I decided that really I am a consultant um and I work on in many different ways for accessibility, but what I really do, what I really do is I spread the word. and there's so much to know and i have a great enthusiasm for it so i've learned that still unfortunately even though everything you just said in your introduction about technology is true information for people living and dealing with vision loss still travels oftentimes word of mouth mm. and you know if i talk to you in the let's say mid to early 2000s and you mm-hmm. happen to utter the word accessible it would often yeah. be preceded by the word rumor has it not so it, things oh, are goodness. not accessible so That's how right. did how did you get into this field you know i've often written that it's so funny you're saying so many things that i can completely relate to <laughs> we must also discuss the blackberry so yes exactly 
I, how did I get into this field? I was um, 31 years old when I was diagnosed with Stargardt disease, which is a genetic uh, inherited disease that takes your central vision. So I, my vision started changing, and um, at the age of 40, I decided that I wanted to do something different. So I, I changed careers. First, I went into the, the world of Internet, and then I had an opportunity to go to work at the Lighthouse. And I went to work at the Lighthouse in New York, Lighthouse International, as a fundraiser mm. because I had a background in sales, and it was a natural for me. And after five years of that, I was in a conversation with our then CEO, and I said, you know, I don't really want to do fundraising anymore. I want to focus on technology because I feel that the world of technology is leaving me behind, and it shouldn't be that way. And she was like, she, she was sort of taken aback, but she said, well, let's do that. Can you do that here? Mm. So that was the beginning, and what, what precipitated that was just what you said, that I was living in a world, you know, I came into this late. I, I, didn't, I didn't have vision loss my whole life, so I had expectations, right, of what things should be and how they should be. And I could not accept the fact that the word accessible was mostly preceded by not. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that I was constantly told, we can't do that, you can't do that, it's cost prohibitive, the technology's not available, and I, I didn't believe any of it. I really didn't. I just knew that we were on the cusp of something that had to happen, but nobody wanted to talk about it. So what happened to me with the BlackBerry? I was um, in the very early stages of my vision loss, and, but still I couldn't use, use a BlackBerry. It was not accessible to me. Everyone I knew had one. But yes, I kept talking about this and looking into things, and the first thing that came was the iPod. Nano with spoken menus. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. Yeah. Before that, I was using an iPod, and and I just sort of learned Mm -hmm. to do it by click, right? I was very good at it, but I couldn't see it. And then spoken menus came, and for me, that was like seeing. And I thought, my God, this is so amazing. And then just a year later, Yes, you're right. The, the, the rumor about the accessible iPhone, and everyone poo-pooed it. It couldn't be. It will never work. It's impossible for people with vision loss, blind people, to, 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 to use a touchscreen, or even people who are visually impaired, because the conventional wisdom was that we needed tactile buttons. You know, it had to be dumbed down, right? Mm-hmm. And, well, we saw that wasn't true. So right away. I went right to Apple, and I, I got an iPhone, and it did, you know, it was a scary curve. It was, I, I went right to voiceover. It was the only way I was going to use that phone, and I learned at Apple because at the time they had this thing called one-to-one training, and I was very excited to, to share this information, and this was, I have to say, the biggest thing that I had experienced in technology to that point. So, obviously, they were on to something. And one of the things that they were onto, I think, was one of the things I was craving. That was a sense of normal. 
We're speaking to writer and accessibility evangelist Dory Rush. Dory, you've talked about how people crave a sense of normal in their tech. And so the counterpoint to that is, do you feel that the market for so-called specialized tech or so-called assistive devices is shrinking or is there still a need for that? I think that there is still a need for it, and I do think it's shrinking, and I see it shrinking. And just recently, I, we also do events uh, for OE patients at Manhattan Eye and Ear Hospital in New York. And one of, actually two of our big, big events, the most attended, one was smart speakers. Mm-hmm. It was huge, and everybody was interested, and everybody was engaged. And the second biggest one in terms of our attendance was electronic glasses or smart glasses, mm-hmm. right? These are assistive products that are, they're like goggles or virtual reality headsets or um, or cam, which we know, which is a small, less... It's a camera. It's, it's, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a less obtrusive camera on a, sitting on a, a normal pair of glasses. Mm-hmm. But, so, so that was in October of 2018. I just recently was going through the site and updating information, thinking about maybe re- revisiting that kind of an event um, in the spring. And so I went through all, the, all of the smart, the electronic glasses that we featured that day, and the prices on every single, all but one of them have come down mm-hmm. significantly, like a lot, okay? So where, for example, eSight, if you recall, when they first came to market, they were like fifteen thousand dollars. That's right. Then it came down to ten. Then it came down to five. And now it's thirty nine ninety five. If I can paraphrase a Douglas Adams, who said, "We seem to get stuck with technology when all we really just want is stuff that works." In talking yeah. about all of this technology, can you draw a line for us between accessibility and usability? Well, you know, first of all, I think that both accessibility and usability—I think it's the same thing, really. Mm-hmm. The definition is making something easy to deal with, right? And that could be for anyone. It's not just specific to vision loss. It's for anyone. But I truly believe when you design a product that is accessible, you really do absolutely make a product that is better for the general audience. Those benefits spill over to everyone. And there's no, there's absolutely no doubt about it. The idea that used to be, we can't do it, it's too expensive, the audience is too small, that is no longer. And I even see products being developed that could be good for people who have no vision. One of the things that comes up in this discussion is Frances West, who's also been a guest on this program. And Frances talked to me about her concept of authentic inclusion. And I wanted to bring that in here because she's really looking at the development process in her work and her role at IBM what she's really coming, uh, what she's communicating is that we need all levels of an organization to have buy-in and to be invested in accessibility, that it's not just something that you siphon off to the one department. Uh, is that something that you're in favor of as well in terms of your work in uh, making technology accessible and inclusive? There's absolutely no question that accessibility has to be built from the bottom up. Mm. It can't be an add-on. It can't be an afterthought. It never works that way. It must be part of the design in, from, the, from its inception. Mm-hmm. So if it's supposed to be such a big part of all that we do, and if people with disabilities 
are so eager to invite mm-hmm. technology into their lives yeah. because it's not just a fad for a lot of us it's a necessity to live in the world and be productive and to keep working for, sure. for example for sure. then do we also mm-hmm. need to have a seat at the table when we're having conversations about privacy and data collection because i hear a lot about this you know read and said on tv and in the radio but the unique perspective of people with disabilities is conspicuously absent is that something that you think about as well mm, that's a good question you know, I, I, I think privacy is a big issue, and there's no question, and I think that we all, we all as individuals have to get engaged in this process because we're not doing our part. We can do better. We can do better. We have to be educated. We have to make sure that we're in the process mm-hmm. because we all, you know, we just accept. We accept the terms. Yes. We want to we use the technology, and we accept the terms. And we do have choices in there, and they're not clear. They're not clear because I've looked into this because I did a group discussion on the the voice assistants and a lot of people there, a lot of people there who are blind and visually impaired wanted information about privacy. Mm -hmm. You have to go in there and you have to take, you know, you have to take charge. You have to Mm -hmm. take charge. You have to do as much as you can. Some things you can't. Some things you don't have choices of. But when you accept the policy, when you accept the user agreement, you give them everything. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a hot button question, Dory. Is the iPhone and voiceover that we've talked about so much considered an assistive device? Oh, yeah. So to me, to me, it's considered an accessible device. And I do think that there's a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, an assistive device is one that is designed specifically for the purpose of assisting a person, we'll say in this case, with vision loss. You know, I love the terminology and the language and the whole movement toward inclusive design, inclusive technology, because I want to be included. You're included in that design. And assistive is you're not, you know, that's a special design for you. Just like you you mentioned in your introduction, you know, you remember that's not accessible. Well, I would, you know, want so many things and I would be told, well, that's not accessible for you. Mm -hmm. So I think that this phone is accessible and inclusive. And and I think that that's the beauty of what's happening in in technology. And I've said it many times and I'll say it again because I really believe it and I feel it, that these kinds of technologies have healing properties. It gives you back something that you thought you lost, that you thought you were not going to get back. You know, so many things you can get back with a, with an iPhone. It's amazing. It is. You know, the other thing that you said before we went on break that I wanted to revisit with you is the one-to-one training that you took at Apple and how much of a difference that made to your life. Oh, we don't really yeah. talk about training enough. I feel like we talk about technology, but we don't have a conversation about the associated piece around training and troubleshooting and giving people the tools to be comfortable in this technical environment. Okay, so let's talk about that because that's critical. And and I have to say that um, even in my work at the Lighthouse, um, the training that we were able to offer was extremely limited. There are training opportunities out there, but they are still extremely limited. But I will call out to these companies who have made their products accessible like Apple number one, right? Apple has an accessibility support line, and you can get training on this. I mean, you can use that however you need to use it. If you need to to understand how to use voiceover or you need to understand how to use an app or you need to set 
anything in your phone, Mm -hmm. they will help you. They are there and they will spend as much time as you need, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a beautiful thing. So they took away one-to-one training, which was disappointing. They took it from everyone, right? Mm -hmm. That wasn't something for people with disabilities. That was for everyone. They took that away, obviously, for whatever reason. It didn't work in their, in their retail store model. You know, everyone was disappointed. But then they replaced it in terms of, for, for us, for people with accessibility needs. And there's no strict, you know, there's no strict, uh, you don't have to be certified. If you use magnification, if you use large font, you qualify to use that, to use that, um, that support line. Mm-hmm. So that's one. That's enormously helpful, and I am, am known as an expert, and I'm pretty good with this technology, but I use this number. I, I call them all the time, all the time. Microsoft mm-hmm. does the same thing. Microsoft has the disability answer desk. You can call them or you can get that through uh, Be My Eyes app. Mm-hmm. Google now is also. Google has accessibility support, great support, through Be My Eyes. Mm-hmm. Just, just click on it's right on the homepage, right? Mm-hmm. You click on and you go and you speak to somebody like you're speaking to them on the phone. I'll just stop you there to point out for those who may not be aware that Be My Eyes is a free app that you can download yeah. to a phone which pairs a blind or partially sighted user of the app with a volunteer somewhere else in the world who is fully sighted. And so one of the things you can do through this app is get some specialized help, uh, as you mentioned, exactly. Microsoft and Google. I, in the right. few minutes that we have left, Dory, the, I just want to talk to you since we've spoken so much about the Lighthouse about the more recent work you're doing at Ophthalmic Edge. What is it and what what is your role there? Yes, thank you. So I was with the Lighthouse for almost 15 years. And um, in 2016, I decided that, you know, probably I have 10 good years or at that time, maybe I still have 10. Um, I have 10 good years in my career. And, I wa- you know, I wanted to do something that I had more... Um, that I could have more of a voice in, that I could really, um, you know, I always felt like we were very limited in what we were able to do, and particularly in the world of accessibility and inclusion and inclusive technology. So I left the Lighthouse to become an independent consultant, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to do lots of things. And one of the things that that I, one of my very first projects that I began and continue was um, a joint venture between the Association for Macular Diseases and Ophthalmic Edge, which is a physician site. And the idea was, and, and, and maybe you can relate to this, mm-hmm. um, that patients, okay, in, in this country and certainly around the globe, right, the, 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 the complexion of vision loss is weighted heavily over the age of 65. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you and I, have been in the world for a long time, but those people are just coming in and they're not, they're not getting information about how they can live better. They don't know. Maybe they're even using iPhones and they don't know the accessibility that's in the iPhone. Mm-hmm. They're not getting the information. So this was an opportunity to build um, a, a website, an information resource. And honestly, for me, I always wanted to do that. I always felt like um, I was always thinking about the perfect, like, directory, you know, with the information that I was looking for. Mm -hmm. What was I looking for? The information that people really gravitated to. Um, And I think the information that people gravitate to, again, is, you know, universally accessible 
products, more than highly specialized, highly expensive products. So we started to do that, and um, and and you know we're still working um, to, um, to to reach more physicians and into more physicians' offices. Um, but we've really uh, cultivated a great group, and lots of information has been um, you know published, and we continue to add more and more. And we've started a podcast. We started a podcast because, of course, that's a natural. Mm-hmm. So we started a podcast in October. We just did episode five. Amazing. Which is fantastic. And that is not only about sharing information about, uh, you know, inclusive AI and products that are available and how people are using them and what, what a difference it makes for people, but also to share stories about people. Mm-hmm. Because, again, when we're talking about the older population and, you know, and if you're suddenly starting to experience vision loss later in life um, and you don't have any idea what to do or you, you've never met anyone else who experienced it. You know, it's really so powerful, so empowering to hear from someone else who, who's been there, mm-hmm. who's survived and thrived. Exactly. Dory, you are not only an accessibility evangelist but a powerhouse. Thank you so much for being on The Pulse today. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you so much. And I enjoyed it. That was writer and accessibility evangelist Dory Rush. She is also the chief content officer at oepatients.org, an online resource providing information and advice for living a successful life with vision loss. Technology has the potential to be a game changer. And I think as people with disabilities, we know this. And although some of us are diehards who love technology for technology's sakes, and I think that's wonderful, most of us, myself included, probably regard technology as a tool, as a way to get our jobs done or shop online or find out when the next bus is coming or even to date online. For most of us, it's a means to an end. And so we don't really think about it much, or certainly we don't want to think about it all that much. As long as technology is designed in a way that's inclusive of people of all abilities, it takes away a lot of the stress associated with the use of tech and brings in a lot of joy and gives us something back as people with disabilities. So I really hope that you will harness technology for your lives, whatever that might look like for you. And I think it is a creative endeavor that should be lauded. When the activism of people within the community lobbying for inclusive and usable tech comes together with the initiative and innovative prowess of those who write the code. It's on that note that I'd like to thank Dory Young for being our guest today on the program. She was a wonderful person to speak to. And if you missed any of our conversation, please go on over to your favorite podcast platform and download the podcast. Don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. Also head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse to find out a few additional thoughts from me. I'd like to take some time to process this interview, but there'll be more on the blog. The Pulse is produced by Andrika Delanerol. Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor and is in today for Sam Robinson. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Most of all, thank you for being a part of the conversation on The Pulse. We would love to get your feedback. Write to feedback at ami.ca. Find us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. Give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. Let us know if we have your permission to play the audio on the program. Whatever your means of communication, we are eager and willing to hear from you. This has been The Pulse on AMI-audio, and I've been your host, Joita Gupta. Thanks for listening.
This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.